Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 381 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host and CEO of the Australian Writer Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community around you. I usually co-host this podcast every week with my partner in crime, Alison Tate, but she's having a summer break at the moment. But don't worry, Al will be back soon. You can still expect most of your favourite segments like Word of the Week, of course, and our writer in residence, and also writing tips and advice. I'm going to start off by diving straight into our writing tip for the week because I hear a lot of writers asking about scenes. They kind of understand character and plot, uh, but they're kind of self-explanatory, right? You learn about character, you develop your character, you develop your plot. But some people are unsure about what things they need to consider when it comes to writing the actual scene. I think that the biggest problem is that writers don't know where to start and end a scene, or they think they know, but they're starting and ending the scene in the wrong place. So then you end up with kind of flabby scenes, which slow down the story or make it feel a little bit boring or that it could be, you know, at a faster pace. Often you can't quite put your finger on why your story isn't as compelling in some places, and that could be because your scenes aren't tight enough. So we asked the fabulous Pamela Freeman, who's our Director of Creative Writing at the Australian Writers' Centre and author of over 40 books, uh, to give us some tips on how to write tight, compelling scenes. And you can find that on the Australian Writers' Centre blog. Her first tip is actually one of my favourites. What is your scene for? Because if it's a scene about two people meeting for coffee, what does the reader learn from that scene? It could set up something for the plot, for example, you know, they're meeting up for coffee because they plan to rob a bank, or it could reveal something about their relationship, you know, they're meeting up for coffee because they're secret lovers, or it could develop the character by having them behave in an unexpected way, like maybe the way they react to the barista or something. But if they just sit and have coffee and talk about what they did at work, well, it's not actually doing anything. So the scene isn't really working as in it's not doing a good job. And for a scene to work in your story, it actually has to do some work. So Pamela also gives tips on when a scene should start and end. Basically, readers don't need to see your character ring the doorbell, come in, accept a cup of tea sit down in the lounge room and then start the important conversation. You start right before the, just before the important conversation. Readers can fill in the rest. And you also don't need to show the character when they say goodbye and walk down the hallway, out the front door, down the garden path. You end when the action ends, which is either when they say goodbye or probably most likely even before that. So Pamela Freeman is a master storyteller and I love learning from her. So be sure to check out the rest of her tips over on the Writer Center blog at writercenter.com.au slash blog. And now obviously this is the perfect time to mention that Pamela has created a brand new course for us at the Australian Writer Center. It's the next in our Fiction Essentials series. It's called Fiction Essentials Scenes. So if you feel this is an area that you need to brush up on or that you need some guidance with, 
check out the course page now, which you can find at writercenter.com.au slash scenes. And it's a uh, a cracker of a course. I've gone through everything. Um, the course is about to launch. So make sure you get on the, um, mailing list because then you'll be emailed with a very special offer that is never going to be repeated. It's only a launch price. So that's at writercenter.com.au slash scenes because it is actually a lot more technical than you think. And Pamela's provided a whole heap of worksheets and exercises. So you can make sure each scene really, really works, really is really compelling and makes sure that your book is a page turner. All right. So listeners, are you ready for the word of the week? I know it feels really weird not being able to ask Al that question, but thank you for indulging me. So this week, the word of the week is noctilucent. That's N-O-C-T-I-L-U-C-E-N-T, noctilucent. That's a good one, isn't it? It sounds a bit like knocking something loose, but according to the Macquarie Dictionary, it means shining at night or phosphorescent. So it comes from nocturnal, nocti for night, and lucent, which means shining. It's a very atmospheric word, I think. So to use it in a sentence, you could say, when I went outside, I was startled by the noctilucent eyes of the cat in the yard. (laughs) And that was the word of the week. Try using that in a sentence. Our writer in residence this week is Frances Chapman, whose young adult novel, Stars Like Us, is out with Hardy Grant Egmont. I loved chatting to Frances. She is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre and her novel is fantastic and it was great to chat about her journey to publication. Here's Frances Chapman. Frances, thank you so much for joining us today. Congratulations on your book, Stars Like Us. Now, for those listeners who haven't got a copy of your book yet, can you tell us what it's about? I can. So it's a um, it's a YA novel. Uh, it's a queer YA novel about Liliana, who's a 16-year-old guitarist and singer who goes to England on a music exchange. Uh, and there she meets Carter, a teenage Lothario with a charming swagger and a lot of secrets. And basically they form a band um, which suddenly hits the big time and she has to contend with a um, toxic relationship, a bisexual love triangle, and basically work out whether she should be measuring success in terms of fame or money or artistic expression. Um, when I come up with a elevator pitch for it, I like to say that it's walk the line if Johnny Cash was queer and female and into Bowie. <laughs> so <laughs> that's how I usually describe it. Um, I'm not oh, sure what that it. actually says to people, like whether that really gives gives them a flavour of the book, but it seems to be doing okay so far. So <laughs> Now, you won the Ampersand Prize. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, um, what was – what gave you the idea for this book? What? How did the seed for this book um, uh, form? Well, um, I I have always been really interested in celebrity culture. Um, as a kid, I used to read lots of teen magazines, you know, uh, TV hits and and everything. And I was I've always been really interested in. Um, 
what that says about us as a society, how we elevate these people who we want to be simultaneously really relatable but also um, untouchable and, um, you know, uh, stars basically. Um, so I've always been interested in that. And the thing that kind of sparked the idea for this as a YA novel um, was I saw this picture um, in 2015 of Justin Bieber on a visit to Sydney and he was sitting in a, um, a chicken shop on the side of the road. So he's like sitting outdoors um, with his friends eating some chicken and just having lunch. But in the photo, you could see him and his mates just having a chat, but you could also see this line of girls behind him (laughs) who were probably like 13, 14. And they'd all, you could see they'd all really dressed up and they were all there to see Justin Bieber. And like one of them had a puppy, like she kind of along and she was like hoping that Justin Bieber would pat her puppy or whatever. And he's just ignoring them and eating lunch because this this was just his life. Mm. You know, he's always followed by teenagers. Mm. And the look, but what I was really struck by in this photo was they're kind of being held back by bodyguards and they're just standing there watching him eat chicken, which is really <laughs> boring um and I was very struck by the look on their faces which was very like kind of lost actually and a little bit like sad and they didn't look like they were having a really good time they looked a bit panicked and worried that maybe he would look at them and then they would know what to say because they're teenagers you know and that's teenagers are like they're constantly worried about saying you know being looked at and saying the wrong thing and quite self-conscious and it really gave me this thought like I sort of thought the gulf between what you think it's going to be like to be famous and the reality of it is probably huge and so I started doing a bit of research and looking into that and trying to kind of tease out some of these ideas about what it would be like to be famous as a teenager, like at that time in your life when you are so vulnerable and um, mm. susceptible to other people's thoughts about you and, and self-conscious. Um, and so that's where the idea came from. And then the I felt like it needed to be a band mm. because I thought I'm very, very into music myself and I, um, I thought it needed like I wanted a character that didn't want to be famous for fame's sake, that wasn't pursuing fame um, in a like an Instagram kind of sense, but instead that they were really passionate about their field mm. and in, and that they sort of as a byproduct had become famous off that. So that was that was why it ended up being a, a rock band. Um, yeah, and the idea just grew from there and then um, uh, kept writing and three years later I won the ampersand. Yes. <laughs> But when you say the idea grew from there, did yeah. you uh, think it think out the entire narrative arc first, or did you just write and just you know discovered yeah. what happened? So I did. I just wrote and discovered what happened. I think I kind mm. of need to do that, otherwise I I get a bit bored. Um, I think I need to explore. I, I think I learn through character, and that's what I start with. So yeah. I started with the probably three characters, uh, Liliana, Carter and Sam, um, who formed the core of the band. And I worked a lot with those guys and and wrote a lot of words that didn't end up in the final book um, mm. and probably powered through a first draft in a few months, like maybe three months. And then wow. once that was, yeah, it wasn't any good though. <laughs> <laughs> so once that was out there um, or written, I kind of, spent a lot of time refining it and I was probably up to draft 10 I reckon when I <gasps> entered the ampersand so wow so a lot, and a lot of words on the cutting room floor because 
um, you know, so much of that discovery writing is uh, good for the author and not that good for the reader. So um, mm. I didn't end up using it all. But it's all valuable because it, it does build that sense of character and, and I um, I feel like I knew my characters really well by the time I came to actually writing the book that it became. So, mm. yeah. so you say that it was three years. Mm. Now, obviously, it was three years in your spare time from the moment you saw Justin Bieber eat chicken. Um, <laughs> can you just describe what you were doing at the time, as in not when Justin Bieber was eating the chicken, but, um, you know, in your day-to-day life and how you fit in um, your writing. Yeah, so I'm a mum. I have two kids and I think I probably started when my daughter was about 15 months old. So I had a young, really young kid in the house. Um, I I think I have to treat it like a job. So I worked part time and the rest and my daughter was in daycare and the rest of the time I wrote and I would have my two writing days a week. Um, and I would sit down at the computer at nine in the morning and then I would get up for a lunch break and then I would sit down again. So I, I'm very structured around the wow. time and I guard that time really precious, like um really uh it's really precious to me. So I really didn't, I don't want anything to interfere with that and I wouldn't like schedule, you know, coffee with anyone or or um anything in that time. Um, it's definitely my writing time. Uh, and as far as like how that, I think I sit down and I write the, the draft like from beginning to end basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really jump around. I know some people do do that but if I do that, then I won't write the boring bits. Mm. <laughs> so I have to write the boring bits. And I do it even when I don't really feel like it. So, I, you know, treating it like a job means you kind of sit down on a day when you don't feel very inspired. And sometimes you write 100 words in a day and sometimes you write. Like today I've written um, 3,500 words on my new book and I'm feeling really pleased with that. Mm. But sometimes you just write not very much or it's or it's all dross and you think oh god no one's ever going to want to read this <laughs> but but you got to keep going and you can't edit a blank page so you've just got to got to write something um mm-hmm. and you can use it later um yeah so as far as the time is concerned like I I'm quite structured around making sure that that time exists for me because otherwise I would put it off there's always something else that I would could be doing you know yeah yeah so that's very disciplined of you did you were you writing before that have you all when did you know you wanted to be a writer of fiction of fiction of fiction yeah I've always written fiction so Mm -hmm. I don't remember a time when I didn't and it's interesting yeah it's interesting my daughter is now six and she um showed me today a book that she's writing and it's it's very like the sort of thing I used to write, like it's, it's stream of consciousness, dense prose because she's six, but it's mm-hmm. that very um, creating a world really and I think I've always done that since I was a kid. Um, and I think when I was about 20, probably 25, I um, started to take it more seriously. I, I'd always wanted to write a novel and I decided if I didn't put my head down and get on with it, it wasn't going to happen. Um, so that's when I started putting aside actual time, specific time that was dedicated to writing in my free time. And then when I quit my job and went freelance in 2015, that's when I dedicated two days a week to it. So that's when it became, um, my job, I guess, Mm. one of my, one of my jobs. Um, so the other three days I write freelance for various 
corporate clients and then the two days a week that are my writing days I'm writing fiction. That's really committed. Do you ever, does the stuff, the freelance stuff ever spill over into Um, your two days? It does sometimes, yeah. Um, it, that's usually deadline-driven though, so I usually try to, like if something's really needs to be done on a specific day and it's one of my writing days, I do it that day and then I use that time, make that time up somewhere else. Um, right. And mm-hmm. there is, there are times when I'm, you know, if my kids are sick or something where I'm not having the time that I wish I could spend on it, but um but yeah, I'm pretty. I am pretty regimented around it. Like, I, and I'm quite used to it now. Like, it's probably been five years since I started, or maybe six years even since I started doing that. And I'm quite um, structured around it. So, mm. yeah. So you're telling me that it took three months to write the first draft, and you didn't actually, when you start started the draft, know what was going to happen. It just kind of revealed itself. What yeah. happened after that? Like, what happened in the other um, two? And three quarter years. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> um, so it came. I I finished the first draft. I put it away for a couple of months because I wanted to have some fresh eyes on it. Um, and then I pulled it out again and I changed basically the whole thing. So oh. I re- rewrote. Um, at that point, so the character, I wanted to change the age of the characters and in YA, changing the age of the characters changes everything. It changes the language you use. It changes a lot of the content as far as, um, you know, sex and drugs and that kind of stuff. And it also changes um, the like things like the setting because uh, if you've got older characters, they might not be living with parents, they might not be attending school, they might have a part-time job. Um, so there's all this all this stuff that changed. As so what age did you change them from? Yeah, so they were about 16 and I made them 18. Right. Um, and I put them on, put Liliana on a gap year mm. instead of like a school exchange. And then when I won the Hardy Grand Egmont, the Ampersand Prize in 2018, I um, had to change them all back again <laughs> to 16. <laughs> <laughs> so then I spent Why? Why? Yeah, well, because that's what um, they recommended. So it was um, the recommendation of the judging panel that they be that the characters be younger um, oh, wow. to capture a, a younger YA market, uh, which I think was driven by uh, probably commercial considerations. I reckon around what they thought they would would sell better, um, and I, they, you know, I wasn't forced to do it or whatever but I felt that it was also the right direction for the book um but it did involve a lot of changes so (laughs) so you couldn't just wheel out the previous version (laughs) no because it had changed so much by then yeah so between so between draft one where they're 16 and draft draft two they're 18 but then there's draft 10 where they're also 18 but a lot has changed so draft 10 was the one that, that the ampersand prize bought I guess yeah they wanted that with 16 year old characters and then um there are other things that they asked me to change as as a result of winning the prize as well um which uh meant that it was basically a whole new book Um, Uh, (laughs) wow so (laughs) what made you decide to enter the ampersand prize so I'd entered it once before. I actually entered it with my previous manuscript, which was the manuscript that I'd worked on at the Australian Writers' Centre when I did the Write Your Novel program in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, 
I entered that manuscript in the Ampersand Prize in, I think, 2017, and it didn't um, shortlist or anything. And so I, when I entered Stars Like Us, I thought there's no way, you know, this is a really hard prize to win and there's no way I'll I'll place, but I'll just send it off and see what they think. Mm-hmm. So I definitely wasn't expecting to get it, <laughs> to win it. Um, so I'd already heard about it and it's obviously a very respected prize. It's very, probably, yeah. Um, one of the foremost YA prizes in Australia and it usually gets 200 to 300 entries a, a year. So um, it's good to get your manuscript in there, but um, I certainly wasn't expecting to do as well as I did. Do you uh, remember yeah. when you found out? Yeah, I do because I was trying really hard to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> I was um, I was on the phone to the publishing director and she told me that I'd won and I was trying to be very um, cool and so I was you know it's a bit like a kettle like I kind of had steam coming out of my ears and <laughs> whistling in my head and I was going oh yeah that's well that's wonderful thank you so much but what I was thinking was like, <laughs> like wild. Um, and then I came out and told uh, the bedroom and told my family about it and that's mm. when it started to feel real it's like oh wow this is everything's going to change you know it's really yes. amazing yeah. That's brilliant. And so you mentioned that you did the Write Your Novel course at the Australian Writers' Centre. What did you learn from that that was useful to your writing? I think so many things. Uh, it's really hard to choose. Um, that was, it was wonderful, um, that course, and it came to me at, at such a great time because I it was about the time that I was looking to implement some structure around my writing and to really have those deadlines every week of having to produce work and then you know the other thing of course aside from the deadlines is having um input from other writers mm. made me much less precious about my work you much more I think I had much more ownership over it because you've got we had I think 12 or 14 people in the class and you can't agree with everybody and some of them will give you feedback that you don't that you know, isn't right. And instead of just going, oh, okay, I'll do that and then it'll be a better book, I had to sort of think critically about whether that feedback was useful. Mm. And some of it obviously really was, but you'd have cases where people would disagree on about your work. And so instead of being, like as a writer, I think I'm quite porous when I'm in that um, first draft stage, like I'm quite susceptible to just picking up every piece of feedback that mm. comes my way. And I instead had to be quite, um, I guess, methodical about, you know, is this going to serve the story or this person said this thing about it, but is that actually helpful? Is it going to change the direction of it Um, in a way that I, you know, that fits my vision and what I want to do as a writer? Because ultimately it's your story, right? Mm. So um, I found that really good because you kind of, it's good, it was taught me to kind of divorce myself from that feedback and to just and to go, well, what is it about this story? Like what's going to serve this story? Mm. Um, and the other thing, of course, about that that writer's course that was so great for me is that I met my writing group through it. Yeah. There's five of us and um, we've been workshopping together for almost six years now mm. and it's a wonderful group of women and um, have uh, and we've, we've grown so, all of us have grown so much as writers in that time and um, I'm so fortunate to meet like-minded people through that course. So it was really valuable for me. 
Mm, and you've all done so well as well. Now, I want to go back to the 10 drafts and obviously there were more <laughs> after that because, yeah. you know, you had to change it back, the age and all of that. Um, but when you went through your 10 drafts, I want to know, I'd like to know what did you, each time, did what did how did you approach it in terms of having that fresh eye and determining what needed to be rewritten? So I, um, I'm trying to think what I did. I think that I would um, look for things like so. In one, in one of the things I do is I write a lot of dialogue, um, and there's not always a lot of texture in there with the dialogue in terms of um, I know where everyone is in the room, for example, but mm. and you know I know what someone's facial expression is, or I know what their tone of voice is in this, but because I've got a background in screenwriting and playwriting, I'm quite dialogue driven, but I don't always, um, obviously in novel writing, you need a lot of description as well to give the reader a sense of what's happening so that it doesn't just feel like, um, you know, so, so that they aren't just expected to fill in the blanks themselves. Um, so I would go through and look for large you know segments of dialogue and then I would kind of break it up with this description um I'm very bad at uh I'm not sure what it's called but the kind of paragraphs that take you from one scene to the next scene which again is a probably a screenwriting thing mm. so I would go through and try to um put those bridging paragraphs in where you're kind of saying you know between this scene a couple of weeks passed and then you know now we're into this scene right um, that kind of thing. Uh, what else did I do? I, like sometimes it was just um, that the story had gone in a different direction to what I was um, initially planning. And I think if if you're very structured and you write a lot of um, uh, planning up front, then you probably don't have to worry about this. But as a person who doesn't do that, <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a lot of, you know, scenes where I was – there was something interesting happening with the character, for example, but it's not actually serving the story. Um, and I had uh, peripheral characters who were sort of subplots or whatever where, you know, the subplot had kind of got out of control and so I needed to rein it in a bit and make it a bit less of a um, melodramatic uh, side, just like distraction. Mm-hmm. I, I think it was that kind of thing. I, with each draft, I tended to have a focus. Like I would know with this draft, I need to focus on creating texture around the dialogue. Or with this draft, I need to right. rewrite this scene because it's not working or whatever it was. So I think um, it's that big picture stuff. And I'm quite meticulous about copy editing while I go as well. So I tend to do oh. the two once which I think a lot of people don't yeah no (laughs) (laughs) so I so most of my drafts are very um like technically fine like there's very rare any typos or um you know odd words in the wrong place or anything like that even in my like I'm writing my first draft of something new today Mm -hmm. and looking at it like it's I'm pretty sure all the sentences make sense and there's no kind of hanging um unfinished words or sentences or you know anything in there um because that's just how I think I can't sort of finish move on to the next thing until I finish the first thought so I tend to um proofread at the same time right which so what I what know. are you writing now um I'm writing another YA book um uh-huh. 
is called oh well I do it doesn't have a title yet I won't okay. share the title because I'm <laughs> vicious about titles sure <laughs> <laughs> um but it's uh it's um it's about it's sort of climate fiction uh-huh. but it's not uh dystopian at all so it's uh kind of very much rooted in the present world okay. um and I like to think of it as a kind of heist um oh. story so I, I you know I love a heist movie where you've got kind of five yeah. people with different skills <laughs> and basically I've got these five teenagers who have to go into it into a jungle and retrieve something and <laughs> <laughs> like a heist but inside a jungle so um I'm quite excited about it I think it's it's really coming along well at this point and um we'll have to see if it ends up getting published or not wow exciting (laughs) so (laughs) you're 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 in the you know exciting discovery phase at the moment I am I am so back to um stars like us what was the hardest part of the writing process um I think the hardest part was knowing when something that I loved wasn't serving the story mm. and I, yeah, and, and I think that's, yeah, for me the hardest part is kind of it was killing your good darlings or whatever and, and knowing that this is actually not part, not the story you want to tell and maybe it will come out in another story one day but this isn't the place for it. And that yeah. was really hard with, you know, I, especially with parts of it that have been there since the first drafts. It was quite hard to let go of some of that stuff. In fact, I have one scene in particular I'm thinking of where my um, editor, like the final, final, final draft, she was like, this has to go. And I was like, yeah, I know it does. I know. Oh. <laughs> so that's hard. But but um, but I think the right decision, you know, in the end yeah. you kind of, oh, yeah, that was that wasn't working and it would have created it was a char- it was a character who cheats on their girlfriend in the book mm. and it added a level of moral ambiguity to that character that i don't think that a teenage audience would particularly right. um, resonate with and so i i think that was the right decision to remove it but i liked that it gave him a bit of complexity and so i kept it in and kept it in and kept it in and eventually <laughs> the, the editor was like yeah it's come out it's like I know (laughs) and what was the most fun thing oh I love I just love it I really love writing I've always loved it I love creating worlds from scratch I love it when it's flowing and I love it when I love characters characterization and creating my own people and it's like I also as a child I wanted to be an actor and I think it's it's the same compulsion. It's like you want to inhabit another world or another life for a little while, and that's um, and you can't you know you can't do that most of the time. But when you're a writer, you can do that. So I really love that about it. You sound like you write a lot, and even if you're only writing two days a week, you sound like you write in your head in mm-hmm. in, in the other times. Do you work on multiple stories at once? Because you also sound like you've got lots of ideas. <laughs> oh, so many ideas. So I do work on multiple things at once, but I tend to be in very different places with them. So I might have one that is um, sort of getting very polished and one that's in the editorial phase and then one that's like first draft. Um, but when, when I'm, if I'm writing the first draft, I'm quite focused on that usually. Like I'll keep right. like 
at the moment that's the only thing that I'm working on because it's I've got other things that are halfway through or whatever but I've just put, parked them for the moment because I'm very focused on this um so it, yeah it does depend I mean I think I just wish I had more time <laughs> you know? yeah but, um, yeah. well that will come so, you'll be able to tr- slowly transition to making it three days and uh, and so. doing your other work for two days and then four days and then you know that just happens over time I hope so <laughs> All right. Um, well, very, very exciting. And But finally, what are your top three tips to aspiring writers who want to be in a position where you are one day, published author? Oh, okay. So I think this is really easy to say when you're a published author and it used to really <laughs> annoy me when I was not a published author when people would say this. But seriously, don't take it personally. Like <laughs> rejection, I got a lot of rejection um, mm. for Stars Like Us and then it won a prize and yeah. about 300 other entries so I think it's just you've got to find the right person to publish your book and if someone rejects it they're not the right person because you that person has to champion it and they have to really love it so um, my advice would be if you're ready to query people to send it to um, like 10 people and then if you get a rejection send it out to another person and always have 10 irons in the fire because mm-hmm. if you get too wedded to one idea like if you decide that you know tour is the only place that your book could find a home then I think that you're setting yourself up for failure really that's my first tip my second tip is write hard and clear about what hurts which is Ernest Hemingway um basically just open up a vein and <laughs> and no but um but basically but you've got to mine the your vulnerabilities and I think um for a long time as a writer I was trying to protect myself and um I didn't want to go into those emotional dark places mm. um but I think that's what resonates with a reader and so you've got to open yourself up to that and and to potentially feeling vulnerable potentially people seeing inside your heart a little bit mm-hmm. and that is quite confronting and quite exposing and we all have trouble with that because most of us are introverts and and so on but I think it's really that's really important is to find the thing that hurts and write about that and it doesn't have to be your lived experience but it's just about finding something that's real I guess um so yeah, that's two pieces. What's the third piece of advice? Oh yeah, treat it like work, probably. <laughs> oh yeah, and you've done that obviously very successfully. You obviously have great discipline. Mm. I think mm. it's really important to um, set boundaries around it, guard it um, jealously, don't let anything intrude on that time, and get it done. Um, because the the worst thing is the person who says, "I'd love to write a book." And it's like, do it then. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly <laughs> right. It's hard. And yeah. um, I often, I mean, most authors will tell you this, but, you know, you meet people who say, oh, yeah, I could write a book. And it's like, yeah, give it a go. Yeah, give it a go. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard. Um, and there's nothing worse than talking about it and not actually doing it. So just get on with it mm. and do it. <laughs> that's my advice. <laughs> that's wonderful. And on that note, thank you so much for your time today. Congratulations on Stars Like Us. Of course, congratulations on the prize. And we can't wait for the next one. Oh, thank you so much. It's been lovely chatting to you. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. If you're serious about completing your own novel manuscript, immerse yourself in our inspiring and motivational six-month program, Write Your Novel. 
Filled with weekly workshopping and practical lessons, you'll receive advice on structure, dialogue, and much more, as well as tips on publishing. The online program fits around your weekly schedule and you'll get extensive personal feedback from your classmates and tutor throughout the program. Here's what Frances Chapman says. Hi, I'm Frances Chapman and I've done several courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. I was looking for a course that uh, would introduce me to other people who would be able to tell me if, if it was any good or if I was on the right track. I first enrolled in a creative writing course at the Australian Writers' Centre and I really liked the tutor of that course. So I had, an, had another look and she was doing a um, six month write your novel course the next year. And I was also pregnant. And so I was on maternity leave and I thought, oh, this would be a great opportunity to focus on my writing. The course was so valuable in so many ways. I felt found writing such a solitary, lonely pursuit in some ways. And this gave me an opportunity to meet other people who were going through the same kind of process and I found some people who were willing to give me some really constructive and helpful feedback on what I was writing. The other thing that was really valuable in that course was learning some of the fundamentals of storytelling. I was a very sort of intuitive writer but the actual building blocks of telling a story, that was not something that I knew anything about. Um, these were things I'd really struggled with and that course gave me some of those fundamentals. I was so fortunate to be shortlisted for the Amsterdam Prize. And then about a week or so later, she called me and said that I was the winner. And I was trying so hard to be cool. <laughs> and I, um, I jumped up and down and I made like little noises, but not into the phone. And into the phone, I was saying, yes, that's, yes, that sounds fine. That would be great. Yes, lovely. Okay. But inside, I was just hyperventilating. My debut novel, Stars Like Us, is about a teenage rock band who hit the big time and things don't go as planned. It's a whirlwind adventure and I'm really excited about it. So I'm always writing but I keep two days to myself a week for my fiction writing. I think putting boundaries around your time is really important. It's really important to sit down and take that time for yourself to write. You're not a writer if you don't have any readers. That's the role that workshopping plays in bridging that gap. I would highly recommend any courses at the Australian Writers' Centre. Any author can, at any stage of their career can benefit from hearing the input of other writers. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash novelwriting. Thanks for joining me this week and I hope you enjoyed this episode of So You Want to Be a Writer. If you want to connect with me and Alison and other listeners, just go on Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. It's a great supportive community of emerging and established writers and um, I just love hanging out in there. I'll be back later this week with a story sessions episode and that's where you get to hear the opening chapter of a novel um, and this week it's going to be read by the author herself. So it's a perfect way to taste test or sound test a novel. We're bringing the bookshop to you. In the meantime, you can find out more information about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au and also you can connect with me online at valeriekoo.com. I'm also on Twitter and Instagram as Valerie Koo. That's K-H-O-O. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. 
Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.